Hey there, welcome to another episode of Teams at Work. My name is Daria Gutnick, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Bunch. I'm co-hosting the show with Anthony Rio, who is also my co-founder and our COO. We are on a mission to help anyone become a great leader. And together with our team, we're building an AI leadership coach to achieve exactly that. This podcast is for a new generation of leaders. Every episode, we talk to an inspiring guest who is running a high-performance team or a company to learn about their journey and what they do in their day-to-day to be an effective leader. So no matter if you're leading a team already or simply interested in becoming more effective at work, you can build your leadership skills by investing as little as two minutes a day with our AI leadership coach. If you're curious, download it for free on the Apple App Store today by simply searching Bunch Leadership Coach. Your journey starts with a quick assessment of what kind of leader you are today, and then you will receive personalized daily leadership tips to help you grow faster into the leader you want to become tomorrow. Our guest in today's episode is David Noel, ex-SoundCloud VP turned leadership coach. David runs a leadership coaching and transformation boutique called Four Chiefs and is host of the amazing Role Models podcast featuring inspiring female leaders from all over the world, which everyone should absolutely check out. He has a one-of-a-kind journey from a musician to an executive at SoundCloud and along the way explains how he discovered his passion for communication, culture, and leadership, as he calls it, the tissue that holds everything together. David reflects very openly with us on how he struggled to find his calling at the start of his career and how walking away from seemingly great opportunities can help you become who you're meant to be. Time really flies by on this one, so let's dive right in. Hey, David, welcome to Teams at Work. So glad to have you here with us. Oh, thanks for the invitation. I'm so glad to be here. Let's jump right in. You have got quite a journey from SoundCloud to now being an executive leadership coach and a podcast host and so many more things that you've done in your life. How and where did your journey begin and what was your first leadership moment, you think? Yeah, so I wouldn't define it as a leadership moment because it's such a long time ago and was mostly I was mostly unaware that you could now label it as leadership. But I guess that's my first moment. I was a Boy Scout as a child growing up and then you go through these different age brackets and join different groups throughout your journey as a Boy Scout. And then you essentially graduate to become a Scout Chief yourself. So I did that at the age of 17 or 18, so quite early. And then you suddenly become responsible for leading a group of 20, 25 children throughout a year on weekends. And then you go on summer camps and things like this. So in a way, it had a leadership capacity to it, even though we didn't call ourselves leaders. But I guess we were leading small groups of children. And I actually learned a lot about taking responsibility of group dynamics, of learning by doing and things like this, all these Boy Scout principles and values that you learn. So that's definitely one first moment. And then a second moment would be, um, I used to play in a band. And in my hometown, very small town in the east of Belgium, 17,000 people, so very small town, I started organizing concerts in my hometown because there was no music community. There was no no community of bands and there were no concerts in the music genre that we liked. So, so I said, let's do that. Let's start organizing shows and festivals and things like this. So I, I emailed bands that I really liked and asked them to come play in our little town. So I guess this was some sort of leadership, not the same kind of leadership that I'm, I ended up doing then later at SoundCloud and also now as a coach, but I would say these would be my first steps into leadership in hindsight. 
This is super cool and interesting. And I'm really glad that you brought up a childhood memory because I think many people consider leadership being something that they only do late in life or something that only specific groups of people have access to, like the executive teams at some like companies or whatever. But I actually would agree that there is so much more to leadership. And if we weren't stepping up in many situations in our lives, we actually would miss out so many opportunities. So maybe a follow-up question to you based on both of these moments. What do you actually define as leadership? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I would have followed up on this to say that not always you receive the mandate to lead or you're designated to be a leader in organizations like a workplace or so. That's more often the case. But I've definitely seen that people have sometimes demonstrate a natural ability to lead without having been told to take the lead. And this to me, so how I define leadership is the ability to see something in the future that hasn't been solved yet, and then just go and do that and figure it out. So it could be, for example, like I did in my hometown with organizing shows and saying, I'm going to take the lead. No one else is doing it. I want it to exist. So I'm just going to go and do it and figure out along the way how to do it. Or it could be in an organization where regardless of the level of the organization that you're in, you see something and you do something about it. And you, you are able to articulate a vision of how it looks like when it's solved and then to mobilize people to go and execute that vision together with you. And then the outcome of it is something that is then solved or it's fixed or it's created or, you know, you've created some sort of value. So that's how I define it. Really cool. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Thank you so much. It's a great approach to leadership, I believe, which is much more all-encompassing than just reducing it to management. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, David, to sort of throw our two cents in there, I mean, we're in the business of redefining leadership as well. And then the way we define it is just positively influencing yourself and others. It's not necessarily having formal authority over X, X thousands of people, right? And I think that's a, that's a fascinating difference. And I think it's an important difference for people to understand, because I think, I think even more accurately or precisely said, it's sometimes just the first person to move, right? The first person to see something and to bring others with them. So I think that's always a helpful reminder. But to, I guess, contrast it with what some people think is leadership, you know, management and sort of formal authority. What do you think the biggest difference between management and leadership is? Yeah, so in a way, I would say that managing is, in, is, is managing the work, managing the output. So it's after a direction has been set and a vision has been created is then to organize the work and ensure that the outcome of the work is achieved after that's been defined, right? So that's managing is much more ensuring that what we already know gets done. And leadership, it's sometimes about creating a point of view of something that's coming that we don't know yet or that doesn't yet exist, right? So take a startup company, they maybe see a market opportunity out there, they see maybe a problem for customers that hasn't been identified, and then they just create a point of view and say, we think we have a solution for this. And we don't know yet if the market and the customers will adopt that solution, but we're going to go and do that and figure it out along the way. So it's a slightly different attitude to lead because it takes courage to articulate this point of view and to go out there and do it, even though you know, don't necessarily have all the answers along the way. So that's how I, I create the separation between leadership and management is leadership. It's about articulating something in the future that doesn't exist yet. And managing is about managing the steps needed to get there. Gotcha. And I also find it extremely fascinating that, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you almost had a position of leadership before you probably had a position of management when you recall those early childhood stories. Is that like a correct interpretation? 
Yeah, I wouldn't call it precision because <laughs> nobody told me what to do. But I would say you're right. I think at the time it was, I mean, I would, in Boy Scouts, it was maybe more the mandate to be a leader because I handed responsibility of 25 kids and you have to do something with them and take them somewhere. But in the case of the music community, it definitely was, there was nothing there. And it was frustrating to see that, you know, we were talking about it quite a lot with my friends and we were saying, hey, wouldn't it be nice to have more bands coming into town or have more opportunities for music fans to come and enjoy their favorite bands and nobody's doing it. So it's, it's like you said, Anthony, it's like about making the first step and then suddenly people feel gravitated towards this and want to support and want to contribute and want to help. So yeah, that's a tricky thing about leadership that sometimes nobody tells you to lead or you're not given the assignment to lead or you don't have the position to lead, but there's leaders everywhere across the organization, across you know all levels of society. And it's I think those people that see something and they go and do something about it. Very well said. Absolutely. Before I jump into the follow-up, which obviously is going to be about SoundCloud, since I think you've built a very nice bridge with your engagement in the music scene, I have a curious personal question. At the time when you organized this event, what was your favorite band, if there was one? I know it's a hard question. There's probably many that you like. And what about now? Who are you following in terms of artists? Well, so <laughs> I have to add the disclaimer that I used to like hardcore and punk rock music, which means that it's by nature, it's a bit underground. So the dance that I loved at the time when I was 17, 18 years old, then they were not very known in the mainstream. They were very regional as well. So I grew up in Belgium. So it was oftentimes bands from, you know, across the border in Germany or in the Netherlands, etc. So most of these bands are not known, but if you want some names, then I will say Face Down was a hardcore band from Ghent in Belgium that I really liked. Nice. Caliban was from Germany, a very metallic hardcore. <laughs> and um, I just emailed them and said, hey, you should come to my hometown and play. There's a great vibrant scene and people will appreciate if you come there. And then they said yes and came here. And artists that I follow now, <clears throat> quite eclectic music taste. So I like indie rock as a genre. I like Americana. I like some electronic music. I also have some loyal companions like Coldplay. It's a bit of a sometimes hard to admit that, but it's one of the bands that since their early albums that I really have been following. I didn't like everything they did, but I have a special connection to them. They've been a, a good companion over 20 years. So there are some. That's amazing. What do you have this in common? I'm a hardcore fan too. Oh, nice. <laughs> I was um, listening to Biohazard and Madball when I was in my... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sick of it all, Snapcase. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we should definitely have a separate chat about that. I don't think I ever met... Compare hardcore notes. <laughs> anyone, exactly, in Berlin that actually could even understand these facts. But um, back to SoundCloud. I'm sure your passion for music brought you there. You've stayed at SoundCloud for over eight years and... What we would love to know is the good and the bad, the lessons learned. What did you take away in terms of good examples of leadership or kind of lessons learned that really helped you as you moved on? And then also on the other side, of course, what did you learn not to do or not to emulate maybe? Yeah, quite broad question to extract learnings of eight years because so much has happened, right? I joined when we were seven people or six people. I was a seventh employee. And at the time, we had about 50,000 registered users. When I handed over my role, my first role, I had two different roles at SoundCloud. When I handed over my first role, we had about 100 million registered users, right? And about 250 employees, later on 400 employees. So a lot has happened there. But I would say, yeah, 
what are the learnings that I can share there? I think it always depends also on the phase of the company, right? Sometimes early stage, it requires a certain type of leadership, which then might change over time. I would say at the beginning, it's about, and I, in my case, I switched from individual contributor to first-time manager and then to VP, leading a global team of about 25 people at the peak time. So that as well is a change of dynamics. So the early stage, it was all about what I mentioned earlier is about seeing everything that's unfixed or broken or not yet structured or set up in the company and then going and building it. So I, I felt that I was a builder. I liked building teams, bringing structure, creating standards, enforcing standards, hiring the right people, growing people, and then handing over responsibility as fast as I can. I never was really passionate about just managing. I really liked the part of building up things and then, you know, growing people into the role. I think my my ambition was always to make myself redundant as fast as I can. So I never wanted to be the person dependent that people depend on in the team because it was always about there were people much more experienced and much more experts in their field. And it was about identifying that. And I think this was a learning about understanding that at some point you, even though I did the work myself, was to reach a point where I couldn't do the work anymore and that there were people out there who could do my work much better. So the first step was really of letting go of the idea that I had to know everything, do everything, have done everything in order to lead a team. So that was a big, big first transition. And then a transition of shifting from managing a team or managing results to leading, right? Where suddenly I had to think about a longer term vision and strategy for my department and facilitating the creation of the strategy and this vision. So it's something that's very different than doing the actual work. And then communicating that vision and strategy in a very compelling and inspiring way, not just once, but repeatedly, to ensure that people have clarity about the direction that we're going, and then enabling a team to do their best work, right? So what are the conditions mm -hmm. that I need to create where the people that I hire can do the best work? And that's a trick that sounds very simple in theory, but it's very hard. I found it very hard to do in practice because I made a lot of mistakes along the way and first not really understanding what are the people that I need and how should it be? So the keyword of team composition, right? I never really thought about it intentionally about how should I compose my team, not just for the moment, but also six to 12 months down the line. And what do I need to do to go and find these people and then grow them into the team? So I made a lot of hiring mistakes along the way. I've made the wrong call on certain people that we had to separate from. I had a leadership style that wasn't the best fit for certain people and they decided to move on and realized that I, I wasn't the leader that they wanted to follow. So there were a bunch of these things, learnings along the way. More from the perspective of leadership as a discipline rather than a role was around choosing to do the right thing. So I remember a situation where we had a denial of service attack, so DDoS attack on our servers, meaning that there's a lot of traffic being channeled onto your website with the sole purpose of bringing it down. And so we had a discussion within the leadership team about how we handle this emergency. And, you know, you can go either and say, obfuscate the truth and just, you know, go out there and not talk transparently to your customers, to your users of what's going on. And we had this fierce debate in the leadership team of saying, no, we want to be, you know, one of our core values is open. 
And so we have to be open, not just internally about what's going on, but also going out there and being transparent about what's going on. And it was about mitigating the risks, right? So what's the downside or the upside and downside of communicating this? And we, I made the call that it, there's only an upside, right? Even though we might be criticized for, for a decision, it ended up being that we received a lot of support from our community and from users being very understanding of the situation and wishing us that we can solve it right away. So in this case, we made the right call. So I think the point of the story is about really being true to your principles of what you think is the right thing to do and then living by it with the knowledge that you might be wrong, right? And it might go sideways. So for us, in this case, this was the right call. And I would say another learning would be, I think my key learning was that I might be the right leader for a certain time but not for the next phase. So I think it's about the leaders that I admire, they're very self-aware of that. They really introspect and see, am I the right kind of leader for what the company needs in this next phase? Or am I willing to create a legacy which is independent of me and I can step aside? And some leaders are really great at this and others hold on too much on it and they become frustrated or they fail at that. And I think so when I look at leaders, I really admire those leaders who have this level of self-awareness and then the courage to step aside when they believe or when they know, when they realize that they're not not the right leader for the next time. This is so interesting because I think oftentimes we discuss internally, but also with our guests, the speed of growth and how quick you have to grow. And also as an executive coach, of course, the bread and butter is to help leaders grow. Could you reflect a little bit more on how to know where you need to stretch yourself and how you can become the leader that your team needs you to be and the company needs you to be or your environment needs you to be versus when to know when to step aside. Yeah, I think the first thing is to do a 360. So a 360 evaluation of where you're at as a leader. So I can speak for myself when I was around. So I always made sure to go out there and ask for feedback from my manager, which was in this case, Alex, the CEO, my peers, and then my team, right? So I was always very curious about how they would assess my leadership capability, not only for the moment, but also for the potential future that we're going. And taking this as very serious input to see either they need something that I can provide, which I can go and acquire and develop into, or we realize that I'm past the point of that and I should look for something else. So in this case, I mentioned earlier that I had two different roles at SoundCloud and the first role was building out a community team. And I realized at the moment that for the next phase of the community team, I wasn't the right leader. But at the same time, I saw an opportunity in the company to build a second team or build a second structure, which was internal communications. And so that transition was one that I undertook with consultation from my manager, from my peers and my team. And then once I had the conviction that I could leave the team in good hands with the right leader, which I had then hired. So I had hired my successor. I was then ready to switch into another team, basically no team because I was on my own again and build out that team. So that for me was a, an important step in not only asking myself, what do I want and what do I think I can do, but also getting the mirror from others and see if there's a fit, right? And in this case, it worked out really well because I could go and do a second round or a second mission in the same company. Oftentimes, it can also happen that you don't find another opportunity in your current company and then it's maybe time to move on. 
And that's something that I really like at a certain phase of the company or stage of the company, also level of the hierarchy in which you then are is Daniel Ek from Spotify, who, who always talks with his executive about his, their two-year mission, right? So even though they might have a role, like for example, being the chief marketing officer, he's always thinking in terms of mission instead of roles or in terms of status or title, right? Because it's always about what's the next big mission for this company, and where could you, with your skills, with your expertise, with your capabilities, provide new value, even though it would mean that the title changes? And so that's something that I also look for, that I advise people to think, to reflect on, is to think about, to disconnect yourself from your current title and role, and to take a step back and to see, could you apply your skills, your capabilities, your expertise elsewhere, you know, broaden your expertise, broaden your leadership style, and thereby create more value and new value for the company. David, I think that's an amazing response. And that comes from someone who has already had, I've had two roles here at Bunch. And I think that speaks to me personally, and I'm sure speaks to a lot of people out there. Because I think there are many more people than people realize that are in situations like that, where they're maybe um, um, aging in their role, but the opportunities lie horizontal or somewhere else in the organization. So I think that's a an extremely helpful and uh, healthy reminder as well. One more question before we dive into coaching and sort of all of your um, experiences being a coach. You know, a lot of our, and Dari was saying this in the intro, a lot of our audience are, you know, first-time managers, aspiring leaders, and, you know, people on the podcast are looking back at their, their leadership journeys in hindsight. And one of the most pivotal moments is that first time being put in a management position or a sort of a formal position. And you had said something in your response earlier around not necessarily, and I want to mince your words, but not necessarily wanting to manage too much. But I would love to hear more about that first time you were put in a management role, I guess, at SoundCloud or, or somewhere else. And did you actively go get it? Were you put in it by the organization? What were some of the struggles and some of the realizations you had in those very, very early moments of your sort of management career? Yeah. So the steps into my first manager role were quite organic, right? So I think it was never never somehow anticipated. So I did not join SoundCloud knowing that I would at some point become a manager because at the time things were too insecure, too unclear about whether or not we would succeed as a company, how fast we would grow, in which areas of the business we would grow. And in my case, it was, you know, as a community evangelist in a company, you know, strategically, you could say, Community is just as one person who ensures that the community stays happy. But in our case, community became such a broad area that included things like customer service for premium customers, engaging a community in different communities of genre globally, so managing different groups, organizing meetups and events. And so that on a global scale ended up being not manageable with one person. And then in having Alex and Eric as founders who truly believed that we should invest into community as a company and understanding that community as an umbrella or as a department might at some point become a collection of departments or have many sub-departments. In that sense, it became a bit like looking at me and everything that I do on a day-to-day -day and then seeing that I could not manage the workload more as we would grow. And then I started thinking about, okay, so I'm reaching my limit. So which parts of the job that I do now in six to 12 months need to still happen, but not done by me? And so that was the first time that it opened my mind of saying like, and I remember Alex challenging me on that because I was still in this thing of like, no, I do everything and I know everything and I will do everything and everything is dependent on me. I said, no, you have to think 
how your work and the workload will look like in six to 12 months. And then you have to think about which of this workload is only work that you can do versus work that others can do and maybe even better than you can do it yourself. And so that's really shifted my mind and thinking now I have to start really designing my team or anticipating how my team should look like because then I need to work backwards and understand at what point do I need to have a job description ready, go out there in the markets, start sourcing talent, interview a talent, onboard them, train them and have them up to speed. But so immediately I was shocked by this realization that I was already two years behind <laughs> on what I needed to do, right? So I think that was the big breakthrough for me. And also a mistake that I see lots of first-time managers do now is not to have this foresight about the amount of workload that is coming six to 12 months from now, and then translating this workload into roles, into job descriptions, into hiring pipeline, et cetera, so that you, by the time you reach those six to 12 months, you have the people in place and the whole thing doesn't fall apart. So I learned that the hard way and I didn't figure it out even the first time. I had to really feel that pain once, twice or three times along the way until I really understood how to lead, to shift from managing results and managing people to leading a division or leading a department. Awesome. And then, so to take us over to coaching, just general question to open up this can of worms. Why do you think, I mean, you're a coach yourself. Why do you think coaching is important? What is all this conversation and talk around the coaching mindset? Why is this such an important thing nowadays? So hmm, which angle do I take? Maybe I can follow up on this. It maybe like scopes it a bit, which is why did you decide to dedicate your time to founding for chiefs and helping entrepreneurs to become better leaders? I mean, this again, and I think this is the pattern or the theme throughout my career is that I never had five-year goals or five-year visions of my, how my career should look like because I dropped out of college three times before I did a like an entry into the music industry without any formal education in the space. And I joined SoundCloud without having done this job before. And I didn't learn how to be a coach. I just went and did it. So, so that's my... That's the theme a bit that things have progressed a bit organically. But what was always important to me is that is to assess whether or not what I'm doing at the moment is what gives me the most joy and how I want to spend my time. And so the switch from SoundCloud to coaching was a quite organic one because I I left SoundCloud not knowing what's next. So I didn't leave SoundCloud knowing I was going to be a coach and a facilitator it took three months in between. That's when, by the way, I started the podcast, the Role Mods podcast, which until then had been an event series that I did with, with my partner, Isa. But then I, I took three months off to do some creative work and creative break and I started a podcast. And then I came back and reconnected with some people. And one of them was Hugo, who was the first CMO at, at Delivery Hero at the time. And he had done the switch into coaching and facilitation already a few years before me. And I didn't know what to do, right? I had three little roads I was exploring. One was either join another, not startup, but maybe scale up a more established company as a leader. And the second one was to start something on my own, to start a company on my own, a startup on my own with partners. And the third one was to do something completely new. And then I gave myself a year to explore these three paths and to see where this leads me. And it turned out that the path doing something completely new was the one that I took on with my colleagues at Four Chiefs. We were all, we call ourselves corporate refugees. So we're all people who have been in operational roles. We've led teams, we built companies, et cetera. And we've gone through burnouts and we've, you know, questioned ourselves. Like we've all gone through this different phase. And what we wanted was 
we wanted to create something where we are free and autonomous to do what we want, but in connection, right? So we're all independent coaches and facilitators, but we like to be in connection and to learn from each other and work together. And in 2017, when I started, this was not defined yet. So we were more a collective of people exploring what we could do together. And then my colleague Hugo opened that path for me and said, uh, because I, I never could have considered myself being a coach or facilitator. I was like, I don't know if I can, I'm passionate about leadership. I'm passionate about culture and communication and all of these things. But I always saw myself as this one person who goes this one team, one mission, one company, and then you go of it all. And he opened my mind by saying, <laughs> back to the coaching mindset, right? He just offered a different perspective where he said, how about you support multiple teams, multiple companies, multiple missions, with your experience. And then I was like, ah, oh, interesting. I never thought about it this way. And then I said, but I don't know how to do this. And he said, don't worry, that's easy. You have the right attitude. You have the right personality. You have the right quality and the right experience. We just need to learn how to do this. And that's easy to learn. So he took me on some of his assignments with his clients. And so I could see what he does and feel how it's like to be in a room and work with leadership teams, et cetera. And then I took a step and said, no, I'm going to try what I think I can do, what you can do. So I did it. And then four years later, I feel like I fully arrived now in this role or in this new job, if you want to call it this way. And, you know, I've gained my experience now on this side of the job and realized that I'm not only good at what I do, but I also enjoy that I can do this independently and free because after 12 or 14 years being full-time employed, I had forgotten how much I value freedom and independence and the ability to work wherever I want, who I want to work with, and to choose what I want to do. So that's the path into coaching. And back to your question, Anthony, around what's the thing? With, I mean, take a high-performing athlete, any athlete you want, as an individual athlete or a sports team, none of them can do it without a coach. So it's about the orchestration of the game. It's about seeing blind spots. It's about mirroring the athlete. It's about challenging the athlete. It's about offering different perspectives. It's about being sometimes the truth teller. It's being the supporter when things go wrong, right? So I think if you look at great teams or great individuals, none of them have done it on their own, right? They've always had a network of supporters of of people around them who have, in their shape or form, have enabled them to become better at what they do. And I think coaching in the business context or leadership context is the same thing, particularly for first-time managers or for fast-growing startup companies, which are often founded by people who have no single management or leadership experience beforehand. So having a mentor, having a, a counsel, an advisor, a supporter, a coach next to them is critical on their path because a coach helps you introspect. So it's a bit the the counterintuitive thing that the coach also does not have all the answers for you, but they have the ability to dig in and trigger a thought, a reflection, an introspection that the person themselves couldn't have couldn't have seen because they have their blind spots, they have their own reality, they have their own limitations. And so a coach really helps break that open and then go and seek and dig a bit deeper. And hopefully they find a coachee who is willing to open up and willing to reflect and willing to grow and willing to develop. Thank you so much for sharing this. I do have to pull back to the moment you dropped about your college experiences simply because I'm too curious to find out what happened there. And if you could shed a little bit of light on like 
how you, I think, courageously took turns, often and early in your career, which I think is really an important thing to be able to do and that a lot of people can do it, I feel. So I would really love to understand like the decision-making there and how you actually like gave yourself the freedom to say like, oh no, I'm going to try something different. And kind of related to that is the question also, like what were your hardest moment when you moments when you look back on the journey so far? Yeah. So in hindsight, it was always easier to piece the story together <laughs> definitely, <laughs> with a bit of distance like, and make sense of it as well. But at the time, it wasn't the case. So it felt much harder in the moment. But it goes back to school where I was, I was always a bad student, but I loved learning. And in school and university, the structures there to make you learn were not for me, right? So I think I, I loved learning by doing, but the structures I was in didn't allow for that to happen, right? So first, I didn't quite know what to do. Right after leaving, after graduating from school, so I went to law school, I went to hotel management school, I almost became a high school teacher. And all of these things were just because I didn't know better. I just didn't know. So I'd somehow missed the moment where I could go and explore and see and go out there in the world and first look what's out there. And in parallel, I was very passionate about music. We talked about music quite a bit. So I always had this passion, but I quite didn't know what kind of jobs there are and what kind of education you can do to end up in a job like this. So after a few failed attempts of going to university, I then dropped out the third time, told my parents, hey, I'm sorry, I'm not finishing this. I'm going away. I had a friend in Germany who said, come and stay with me and we'll figure out what you can do. I have some connections to the music industry. And he ended up introducing me to a few people who gave me my first job in the music industry, right? So this was always quite a bit escapist. So I wasn't really diligent about pursuing and finishing a study. I was always a bit, I don't feel it. I don't like it. I have to get out, right? I had to flee without really knowing what to do next. And I think that's been a pattern across time. So in the end, it all worked well, because I think I can look back at any moment and say, no, I, I didn't follow a path that people around me expected of me, right? Parents, society, my friends, etc. Like going to business school or going to law school and then following this career step of becoming a teacher, but just said like, no, I don't feel good doing what I do. I have to go out there and, and find out what I want to do and then create my new reality. And that's what I did, right? Music industry, then marketing agencies and startup companies. There was a failed, failed startup before SoundCloud, right? So it's also part of the story that this first round was didn't work out and then SoundCloud and our coaching. So each transition point was not planned and faced with the insecurity of what to do, but then to really resist or surrender to that feeling of not knowing and then trusting my intuition and trusting my instinct and my capabilities of then creating a new job, the coaching job I do now, I created it myself. And the SoundCloud job, I somehow created it myself as well. I filled the role with what there was. So I think that's the pattern now. And the learning here is, I think, that if you have an ambition, if you have a drive, if you believe in your capabilities, you can create these things for you and don't have to follow this path that maybe others paint for you in front of you or... Or do that. I'm rambling a bit, but that's the way it worked for me. It might not work for others, but at least it worked for me. I can totally relate. I just wanted to plug that in because I think there are so many professions or so many studies, especially in the like fuzzy sciences, like social sciences, etc., that don't actually have like clear 
I study engineering, I go into like a development role, and then eventually I need to decide path. And I think lots of people struggle to actually understand, like, is it only me? Like, am I the only one lost? <laughs> I'm creating yeah. my jobs on the fly. Is this normal? That's the thing. I had for many, many years at the beginning, I thought something was wrong with me. I really thought something was wrong. All my friends around me knew with 17, 18, they wanted to become a doctor and then went and studied for 10, sometimes 15 years even before they could practice. And I was like, what am I missing? Like, what I don't see that they seem to have figured out? And I guess there's no no right answer to that. It's just about figuring out what you want. And I think now with the internet, with YouTube and with all of this, like everything is just much more accessible than it was in 1998 in a small town. I didn't quite have access to all of these things that young people now have access to. So things have changed. And so you now have much more visibility and you have many more role models in the world out there who show you what's possible and thereby enable people to take a different non-traditional and maybe sometimes more winding path. Yeah, absolutely. No, I couldn't agree more. I was just going to ask you, because you had mentioned, David, that you, after four years, you feel like you finally arrived in this role as a coach, in this role as a facilitator. We've been through a large part of your journey. What today do you still find challenging, given all of those learnings and that entire journey? Yeah, it's saying no. <laughs> so there's a few things maybe that come together. One is because we're all independent at Four Chiefs means that we're in control of our time. Which sounds great, right? You can choose when to work, who to work with, how long to work, when to take time off, etc. So that's the beauty of the freedom and the autonomy. The flip side, it comes with a responsibility for yourself and also for others. And my nature is that I, I love helping people. I love when people come to me and say, hey, we have this assignment or we have this challenge and can you come in and help us? And so my tendency is always to say yes, because I don't want to disappoint people and I enjoy helping, I enjoy supporting. So what's still challenging is making sure that I find the right balance between giving and with taking time for myself. So that's really the thing I struggle with most. I'm much better at it now four years in. First year I was really bad at this. Second year also a little bit. Now this year it works a bit better. That's definitely one. And then the second one that's more around the work itself is... When you notice that a person is not ready to do the work, right? So if you think about coaching, it's like coaches, we sometimes say, is this person coachable? They might hire you, but is the intention there of wanting to be challenged and, and grow and develop? And that's sometimes very challenging when you're caught in this situation where you initiate work with somebody sometimes over a long period of weeks and then you realize there's no intention of changing it. There's somehow it's not there and there's no willingness to do the work. And that's, I think, very challenging because then it means that you have to have a tough conversation about whether it's worth continuing this journey or not. And so I found that very challenging. It, it helps now we can assess this early on, right? Before we engage in an assignment, we can we can decide and say, hey, I don't think I'm the right person for you, or maybe you should look for something else, or maybe you're not ready. And that works well. But I find this really challenging of abandoning a process midway. Gotcha. And I think as a follow-up to my to my previous question, um, because I do think this is most of the time the most surprising moment in these type of interviews and conversations. Looking back, what would you say were the toughest moments for you on your journey? Work-wise or in general? I think we phrase it typically as a leader, but I feel that also constrains it quite a lot. I would say in the professional realm. So as we just kind of like looked back on 
all these years of all these different adventures and learnings and experiences you made and also the, the great impacts you've had on your surroundings and the ecosystem. What was hard? The hardest part or the hardest phase that I can remember is 2012 when my mom suddenly passed away. And that was a time when with SoundCloud, we were in a phase where we were about doubling in size. So from going from 200 to 400, it was flying around the world. We had opened offices in San Francisco and New York City and, you know, building a company and just rotating, working super hard, long hours, long hours. And for me, I was so emotionally tethered to the company and to the role and to the work that I had been, I, I mean, the whole thing just absorbed me so much that for me, this was the only thing that exists. And then my mom suddenly passing was was just like the real reality kicked in of suddenly my world shrinking from being in the US and traveling around the world to going to my hometown and just confronting life and death and and rediscovering my family who I had not spent time with so much and the connection with my sister who was not strong. And so that really was for me the hardest point because it meant that learning what's really important or what actually matters compared to what I thought mattered with company or with, with traveling and all of these things was the toughest period. And, you know, that triggered a lot of things later on with depression and working through grief and and managing myself and my health and my mental health. So all of these things suddenly broke open with that moment and were somehow a good thing to happen for me because it just started the work. I started my own work as well with therapy and with coaching and all of these things. And it just shifted my perspective again, right, That about what really matters. And so that, I think, also helped me to be a better leader because it suddenly wasn't living or badging the idea of a leader, but I was really looking inward and thinking about, I was confronting myself, right? I started confronting myself, I think is the point, which is super tough to do, or it was for me at the time, but it was the toughest but most important experience I had. And, you know, my dad passed away later on as well, so it didn't stop in a way, but I I somehow started integrating life experiences with work experiences and not ranking work experiences and career progression as something more important than something else. And so these two events were sad and really hard for me, but I think also started my path for growing and my path for becoming a better person or a person I like, a person that I actually like. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for sharing it. And thank you for being so open and authentic and letting us kind of see a bit of, of the learnings and the story and really moving. Thank you. Yeah, same from my end, David. Appreciate it. And I also think, um, yeah, I think everyone in the ecosystem we're in should hear something like that every now and then. So I personally appreciate it on my end as well. To take us home here, to take us home, this is a question we ask everyone. And it's, as I said, it's sort of the beginning. We're in the business of taking all the wisdom and insights that leaders have gained over the course of their careers and trying as best as we can to help people who are just starting out, to use your words, David, Bring some of that perspective, but make it actionable and allow them to do what I will probably do right after this podcast and take everything that you just said and try to apply it to my life and probably take a step back, to be honest, and do a couple of the things that you just referenced. But the question is this, I mean, if you could go back to those early days and give the kind of new or just starting out, David, a few leadership tips all the way back to the beginning of the journey, you know, two or three, it could be more, but just a few is fine. What would those be? 
Yeah, it's a tough one because it's always context specific and stage specific, experience specific. But if I would be a first time manager now, first thing I would read is Making of a Manager from Julie Zhu, XVP Design at Facebook. That's the, probably the best modern or recent management book out there. So there you get the basics on people management. Everything is in there. And so that's the first good thing. Second of all is to study Lencioni, high-performing teams, how to build trust, how to manage conflict, how to seek strong commitments, how to ensure accountability in order to drive results. I think that's, for me, the most eye-opening framework that I learned at SoundCloud, but then now that I teach as well in leadership development. These are the five levels to master in managing a team. And if you can do those early on or become aware of those early on, it will solve a lot of the issues later on. Oh, one thing is, I don't know how you perceive this sometimes, but I notice this sometimes that when I spend time with first-time managers, when we talk about managing and leading, I often hear the response of, that is work on top mm. of things, right? This is work on top of the work that I have to do. And I'm always like, what does that mean on top? But your manager, this is your work. Or leading is your work. It's not on top, it is your work. And so that is just something that I would encourage people to start thinking about as soon as possible and shift that mindset or shift that perspective a bit that make managing people your work and not think about it on top. And it's hard sometimes for individual contributors transitioning into a manager role because you'd still do parts of the work yourself, but ultimately you shouldn't do the work yourself down the road. But so initiating that transition early on and making be very aware of that is definitely a key learning there. These would be three. There's tons more, but let's just stick with those three for now. Those are really good. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think it's been one of the definitely most moving and insightful hours we ever spent on this podcast. So thank you so much, David. I admittedly, following your journey, was expecting a great conversation, but I don't think I was um, expecting as much authenticity and just openness and really kind of, you said it, like doing the right things, but I think you said many of the right things that many people in tech kind of don't really think about often, like all the things we do and all the busyness and the meetings and the shiny products and the great opportunities like often distract us from what's really essential in life. And I'm so glad you pulled me personally back there for this hour. And it definitely leaves a huge kind of um, in a positive, but also like real weight residual with me. And I'll definitely have many more thoughts, I think, about our conversation today. So I really, really thank you for your openness. Well, thanks so much. Thanks so much for this really nice feedback and the appreciation. Awesome. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And as you know, we have many more exciting guests coming up in our next episodes. Thank you so much, David, for spending so much time with us and sharing your wisdom. And see you around, everyone. Bye-bye. Happy leading. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Teams at Work. Let us know what your thoughts are on today's episode. You can find us on Twitter at Daria Gutnick and at Anthony A. Rio. Or simply follow Bunch at Bunch underscore HQ. And don't forget, subscribe if you like the episode, because we always have interesting guests who join us and share valuable knowledge as well as actionable advice. Yeah, we're looking forward to hearing from you. Please do get in touch. At the beginning of the show, we did mention that we're building an AI leadership coach that helps you level up as a leader in just two minutes a day. 
Check us out on the Apple App Store and simply search Bunch Leadership Coach to find it. Try it out and let us know what you think. And that's a wrap. We are your hosts, Daria Gutnick and Anthony Rio, and we're excited to speak with you all soon. Till next time.